three tight ends in the set. Snap, back zone, read play action. Wanamaker fires back in the end zone. Caught! Johnny Wilson! Did he make the catch? He's in! Touchdown, Florida State! Touchdown, FSU! Here's Johnny! I love it, baby. And guess who that was against? A guy that he, that he didn't get a chance to go to practice with last year, but we felt like we were going to get it done anyway. I think he went right at Brownlee. That's the second touchdown that Brownlee has given up. The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. The Cardiac Kids, they're 3-0. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.02 on this Victory Monday. Once again, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, WVFS Tallahassee, 89.7 FM and WVFS.FSU.edu. As always, number to call the show, 850-644-1837 and at V89 Sports on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow your questions, whatever else you may have. But uh, without further ado, it is William Haynes in with Jackson, a co-host, our panelists today, Kylie and Alex, Jack, the producer behind the glass, and we are we got some important things to talk about. Florida State football team, they're 3-0 and after a 35-31 win in Louisville over the Cardinals on Friday night, uh, their best record, their first time starting the season undefeated 3-0 and since 2015, first ACC opening win since 2015, so all that kind of stuff. We also have um, a, a, someone from the Boston College student radio calling in later on. That'll be about 7.20, AJ, and with Reggie from WZBC. And then later on in the show, we'll have some NFL talk, and the National Football League is uh, off to a storming start with a fantastic week, too. So make sure to stick around for all of that. And, of course, seminal segment at around 7.30, 7.35. So this is William Haynes with Jackson Bakich. Jackson, another busy weekend for you, another ACC road trip. You were at a Virginia game, but, uh, I mean, not to bury the lead, your Miami Dolphins pulled off one of the greatest wins in, in a decade. So how are you doing? I know you must be fantastic, must be beaming. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And what a week to be a Florida State Miami fan. But before I say anything else, I want to wish a very happy birthday to my dad, Stephen Andrew Bakich. Uh He is my father, uh, and it is his birthday. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he's uh, he's 58 today. So can we give a little quick happy birthday to my dad? Woo! Happy birthday, Steve. All right, Mr. Bakich, hope you're listening tonight, and a, a nice happy birthday to you. We're uh, all wishing you here at the uh, V89 family. Next up, we have Kylie Brennan. Kylie, this is the first time you've been on to talk some football games. Last time you were on, we were previewing Duquesne, so lots have changed since then. And uh, also, your team down in uh, or over there in Duval County had a nice little win there on Sunday, so I know you must be doing pretty good as well. Absolutely, William. <laughs> I, I have been waiting all day to be able to answer how I'm doing today uh, on this show. So I gotta, t- I gotta give you the list real quick why I'm having a good day, okay? All right, number one, Jags shut out against the Colts, brilliant. Number two, Hard Knocks playing out like a real life movie, brilliant. Three, a TB12 tantrum that I got to watch. And I think that Apple should really invest in doing advertisement for how the iPads keep working when he throws them. I think that's brilliant advertising. I think they should pay me for that idea. And then lastly, Miami lost, FSU win, and UF revealing the trash team that they are by narrowly escaping just because of a holding or a placement issue with the ball. So that's why I'm having an amazing day. 
that's, that's a lot to be excited, excited, excited about. about. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, almost, almost got beat by a USF team that's really down and out these days. But uh, and uh, Anthony Richardson is his Heisman campaign has slowed down to a screeching halt. So that's that's nice to see as well. But rounding out the panel tonight, Alex Rivero. Last time you were on, that was uh, the, the the show after the Duquesne game. So lots have changed since then as well. Had some takes about Tate Rodemaker on that oh, win no. on that Monday night and. Uh, uh, that he certainly becomes more relevant than, uh, now than he was back then. How are you doing? Thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm having a great day also. Um, I know I texted you guys after the game. I was like, I take back about a little bit of what I said about Tate that last time because he really showed out. But um, I'm having a great day also. My Baltimore Orioles are playing against the Detroit Tigers. Um, uh, hopefully it's supposed to be a shutout this um, this series. So let's just see and hopefully they can dominate because – they're my team, and I just I really want them to win. It's been a great season for Baltimore. They were one of those like 0.0% playoff teams, but they, they were in the race for a while. They're still over 500, so things are looking good yes. um, uh, up there in Baltimore. Five and a half games back. Last time I saw it, it's probably changed a couple days since. With then. about 16 to play, so not not great chance, but they are still they are mathematically still in the playoff race. They're still race. there. They got a little bit of a chance left. That, that is true. Uh, for my Tampa Bay race sec, I hope they don't they don't come back too quickly. <laughs> but uh, rounding it out, it'll be Jack Oliaro, our producer, peeking in from behind the glass he'll have seminal segment a little further on uh we'll be talking about boston college but the soccer team actually beat bc up in chestnut hill so there's a, a connection there and a reminder aj and what reggie from wzbc will be calling in at about 7:20 to talk about uh, all things boston college to preview that game so i don't want to delay it any further fsu beats louisville 35 31 gonna split it kind of in a tale of two halves because that's really what it was with the first 25 minutes played by Jordan Travis we got a great look once again at what this team can be at their best and then uh, in the 35 minutes that followed a look at what the team is that we'll probably see this week and maybe a little bit further uh, beyond but a Friday night on the road in a hostile environment a desperate spot for Louisville they really needed a win there and it was FSU coming off a bye so I thought they looked really sharp off the bye that was key they had some injuries going into the game though uh, defensive back Amarian Cooper played only four snaps he was a starting cornerback to begin the season and it was Jerry and Jones reinserted into that starting lineup, had some difficulties early on. And uh, really the heart and soul of this team, especially the defense, defensive tackle Fabian Lovett was missing uh, from action during the game in the starting lineup. Knowles would go on to lose Robert Scott, Jared Verse, Malcolm Ray, Jordan Travis in the game as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But in the first quarter, a game started out hot. It was 14-14 in a hurry. Florida State's first drive, Cam McDonald, the tight end, had that long catch and run over the middle and what seemed like a coverage bust. There was also a play on third and long where Jordan Travis scrambled drill, found Johnny Wilson, and he had his certainly his best game as a Seminole and, and did what we all on this show and at this station thought he had the, the capabilities of doing. He had a great day. Seven catches, 150 yards, a couple touchdowns, drew some pass interferences as well. Certainly the MVP of the game. He broke the rock in the locker room. Uh, Preston Daniel, first touchdown, uh, put the Knolls on the board. Louisville, they, they were ran right down the field their first couple drives. Immediately in two minutes, tie the game up. There was a missed 37-yard kick from Fitzgerald. He would go on to miss another one from 36. Louisville straight down again, 14-7. And then FSU, three-play touchdown drive, a long Trayshawn Ward run, and a Malik McLean touchdown that looked like an NFL ball thrown by Jordan Travis. Corner of the end zone, back shoulder play uh, to tie things up there. 
And after that, teams were trading it back and forth for the rest of the half. We didn't see a whole lot of offense. There was a couple of interceptions and two punts for FSU after those two drives. Louisville had a touchdown but fumbled it twice. And then with 421 left in the first half, Jordan Travis goes down in a Yaya Diaby sack, and he did not appear in the rest of the game. So, But let's talk about, guys, that, that, that game with Jordan Travis in it. Looked great, was in command, making all sorts of plays that he shouldn't have been able to make. Um, Johnny Wilson looked terrific. The defense, though, not so good. Malik McLean had his way mm-hmm. with this FSU defense. Jackson, let's talk about this first half. Well, I predicted last week uh, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball that uh, the, the entire game was going to be dependent upon how uh, Kalen DeLoach was going to be able, well, the spy, we didn't know exactly who was going to play. We thought it was going to be DeLoach, but how the spy was going to be able to respond uh, to Malik Cunningham and, you know, who was going to be the better athlete. That's really what it was going to come down to. And uh, for the most part, Deloche did a solid job. I mean, I, Cunningham, he, he had some big plays. Uh, and, you know, we kind of looked. I mean, I, I know we I don't want to go to the second half too quickly, but on that fourth and one, fourth and two there at the end, uh, you'd like to see him make that tackle. Um, that was Deloche, right? I believe so. I believe so, so yeah. So uh, you'd like to see him make that tackle there at the end. But for the most part, uh, pretty solid job. I'd say maybe B minus, B plus. Um, but Travis looks amazing. 11 for 11 coming out, um, threw the ball, ran the ball well, uh, really got out of, uh, trouble early in in the car business getting out of the weeds early on. That's, that's, that's a, uh, that's a big deal. So, um, he looked like every bit of athlete that we're used to seeing. And, um, I really hope he can stay healthy because he's a special player. Kylie, Alex, what do we got? Um, yeah, just in that first half of the game, like Jordan really didn't play that full game, but just to like kind of compare the two um, quarterbacks that were playing that game, Jordan Travis threw four touchdowns and only one interception. But Anthony Richardson, who was the quarterback for Louisville, he threw zero touchdowns and four interceptions. Talking about Richardson from uh, Florida there? Oh, wait. I th- yeah, yeah, Malik, yeah, Malik Cunningham. Yeah, from Florida, my bad. Yeah, Malik Cunningham, not, I mean, 250 yards through the air, did throw an interception there to end the game to Kevin Knowles, who uh, the, the slot corner had himself a nice game in the second half. It was really more so, I thought, his damage on the ground in another another game in a row where Florida State could not stop the quarterback run, as Jackson was saying. Yeah, kind of like Jackson was saying, uh, going into the predictions for this game, one of the things that we were kind of worried about at the station was how our defense was going to respond to someone like Malik Cunningham, someone who, you know, has the legs, runs the ball, and is able to kind of find those holes in a lot of defenses. And anytime you have a quarterback that's receiving recognition from Lamar Jackson on Twitter, yeah. like, same guy that ran a 79-yard touchdown, yeah. um, or 79-yard run uh, this weekend, that's that's a big deal, and that's something that our defense kind of has to cover, and that's something that was looked a little, um, you know, little iffy, iffy there. Yeah. But uh, the way we were able to shut it down and get the game still going and – you know, all of us at this station, like you mentioned, had faith in Johnny Wilson and saw him at training camp and said, hey, guys, pay attention to this guy. This guy's going to be good. We we called that at VA9. we got to give ourselves some credit because people were saying, okay, well, his stats at ASU, not that great, hamstring injury, what have you, but we called that. 
And I think so big too, a big receiver like that with a large catch radius and also his ability to get open. I mean, for a guy his size, he's got he can run too. I mean, he runs like a deer. Incredibly quick feet. Like, exactly. Sorry. Go ahead. My my point being that when you have a quarterback like Tate Rodemaker who has not, does not have a ton of experience, he you know he's nervous as all get out probably to be starting that second half in a big game to have a receiver like that that you can rely on because it seemed like they were just calling number 14's number in that second half so I think his performance big because when you got a quarterback that's lacking maybe a little bit in confidence or needs to pick me up Johnny Wilson did exactly that and I think that was probably what made the difference and uh we need to send some butter up to Louisville because I, I know a cornerback that's a little toast. Number 12. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jarvis Brownlee, where you at? Yeah, not not such a great game for him. That was something we previewed as well. We had the uh, a Spencer Laws from Louisville. We asked him about the, the Jarvis Brownlee experience. Had uh, a little uh, some plays there against UCF the week before. And that's got to feel good for FSU. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but there was uh, some tension there, the way that relationship ended, and they put him on an island with Johnny Wilson and and. FSU took great advantage of that matchup. But uh, let's talk about the second half because that, that was really, I think, where the game was. Louisville led 21-14 at half. Um, Tate Rodemaker came in with about four minutes to go in that, the first half, threw an interception, but then really cleaned it up mm-hmm. after they came out of the locker room. Touchdown drive right out of half, 21-21, tied it up. Back-to-back punts for both teams, another kind of stall-out stage. Cunningham runs 60 yards on a touchdown drive where he started to pick things back up. There was a 69-yard bomb to Johnny Wilson. It was about 50 yards in the air and a nice throw from Rodemaker. And then I think they go back to him for a 10-yard touchdown. Louisville gets a field goal to make it 31-28. Then another long touchdown drive for FSU. Trey Benson took the game over. Really the first time we had seen him since he ran for 100 yards against Duquesne. It was been missing in action, but a guy, a big sturdy running back that can run through first contact, run through tackles, and they take the lead at uh, that time it was 35-31, and that's where the score remains. Louisville had an incompletion on a fourth and two. Uh, but the game didn't end there. FSU had a chance to put it further away. Ryan Fitzgerald misses another kick, this time from 36 yards out. And then for Louisville, it was a game-ending interception from Malik Cunningham with 37 seconds left. They were about midfield. He was scrambling out, trying to buy time, trying to make a play and a throw on the sideline that nickelback Kevin Knowles intercepts to end the game. So Tate Rodemaker comes in, 6-for-10 passing, 110 yards thereabouts, two touchdowns and a pick. The pick came in the first half. And so... He was just about as perfect or just about as flawless as you could have asked for a guy in that situation. We talked about Johnny Wilson affecting that, but we got to give our hats off uh, to the, the, what is he now, a redshirt sophomore from Valdosta, Georgia, Tate Rodemaker, yeah. had himself a game in the second half. And all, all the sports writers, all the coaches have just been enamored with him in practice. And uh, you're at the station, I, mean, we, I know we've kind of given him the, the title of a practice player and, and uh, I worked with the team in 2020, and you know that take wasn't horrible. Um, that take was actually pretty solid because that's you know we saw him against Jacksonville State, and, and you know he was a true freshman. God bless him. But even if you're not a Florida State fan, you got to be happy for the kid. I mean, after if you just look out from the outside looking in, and uh, you see what kind of what he's been through, uh, for him to have such a stellar game because he has tons of athletic ability. You can just see it. Um, early on when in the second half, when, when you see him run for that first down, uh, actually, excuse me, I was late in the second half, and when you see him run for that first down, uh, you're kind of looking around. He's like, he's, he's beating people around the corner. He's still on the edge. Um, you know, his athletic ability 
with all the athletic ability that he has, uh, it was good to see it finally come to fruition. The injuries were a big story. Uh, Robert Scott, the left tackle, goes down. Jared Verse, the star defensive end, goes down. Malcolm Ray, an interior defensive lineman, and of course Jordan Travis goes down during the game. So that that's that's a big story. There, there's no two ways getting around it, though. I thought the the depth pieces, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, did a great job. It was Darius Washington taking over at left tackle for Scott. Looks like that's where he's going to stay for now. But you've got some third stringers in the front seven of the defense making some legit plays. Redshirt freshmen, both of them. Josh Farmer, who got huge hype in fall camp, and Patrick Payton uh, playing that Fox kind of uh, hybrid linebacker defensive end spot. So big for the depth pieces. Uh, I, I thought that was big. Um, the, the defensive backs, uh, probably the, the 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 part of the team that struggled the most. Although Louisville has a way to put a lot of pressure on the defense um, with the running quarterback in Malik Cunningham, but they have some talented receivers that tested FSU. Um, so, for, first three and zero start since twenty fifteen. The feelings are good, and more than anything else, they talked about after the game. Kevin Knowles and Tate Rodemaker did the post game mm-hmm. interviews. The ability to come back from adversity, Coach Norvell talked about it too. I mean, this is just not something we've seen in the last few years. And you talked about kind of splitting this game into two halves, which is fair because all the injuries in the second half and late in the first half. But what I saw was a complete team that all had the same resolve, that all had the same uh, goal, same end goal yeah. the same end goal to, to get the job done no matter the cost. And... Uh, I mean, really, you could argue uh, since 2014 to 2015, you haven't seen that in Florida State football. I mean, in the 2014 season, obviously, you see the uh, the crazy comebacks. You know, one of them was against Louisville, that 21-point deficit back in the day at in Cardinal Stadium. I believe it was Papa John Stadium, whatever it was back then. But uh, this is something that we have not seen in Florida State football in a long, long time, and I think uh, Florida State fans should really be excited about it. No doubt, no doubt. So that, that caps off the, the win. FSU advances to 3-0. They've got a game this week with a chance to advance to 4-0. They've got Boston College coming into town Saturday night, 8 o'clock in Doak Campbell Stadium, first home game in about a month. FSU 16.5 point favorite. 96% of the public is picking FSU to cover that spread over under about 48.5 points. First time FSU is a double-digit favorite versus an ACC opponent since the season opener in 2020 against Georgia Tech. They were a 13-point favorite. And uh, we've, we've got our, our guest on the line here. Let's go ahead and pick up the phone. And we have here now with us on Tomahawk Talk, William with Jackson, Kylie, and Alex, joined now by AJ Enwa Reggie from WZBC. They are the sports, or not the, the, the student radio in Boston College, but they've got some sports. AJ, it's great to be with you. How are you? And thanks for joining the program here tonight. Yeah, no problem. Any time. Uh, so it's just a pleasure to be on here. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, AJ. So tell me about the the student radio. We've been doing spots with with uh, students from other schools, but it's been the the student newspapers. It's been the sports editors of those. This is the first time we've gotten a chance to talk with someone from the radio. So tell me a little bit about what the the sports does with the radio over there. I saw that you you called the the Boston College football game against Maine on Saturday. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, basically, yeah, it was pretty fun. You know, we had a, a great view to see the game. We had a live broadcast of the podcast, uh, me and my fellow uh, co-broadcaster, Lamar Duncan. So we called uh, play-by-play. I also work with the student newspapers, so I'm really in tune with what's going on. 
But yeah, it was a great experience during the game. Like we just try to give our own perspective, like from a student's, uh, you know, voice, and that's what we're trying to do here too. I think that's important, and that's that's great. I think it's really cool that you were able to to call that that game uh, this past Saturday. But let's talk about Boston College football in 2022. A disappointing start for them. They're one and two on the year. Tell me about their season thus far. Yeah, you know, we obviously, you know, didn't we obviously expected a kind of rough start because we lost uh, a few members of the offensive line. We lost Zion Johnson. He went uh, number first round, 17 to charges. You know, we lost, unfortunately, we lost uh, Christian Mahogany. He was ranked, like, number two in the country, like, one of the best defensive linemen in the country, and we lost him towards ACL. You know, we had another kid, Kevin Clown, towards ACL. So it's been a lot of, you know, young, inexperienced players in the offensive line that started the game against Rutgers, which we were, uh, you know, favorites to win the game. But unfortunately, we couldn't. Uh, pull ahead the offense the first game of the season inexperienced offensive line we just couldn't pull it off we led the game the whole game we lost at the end to a good Rutgers team second game of the season Virginia Tech we just couldn't get we just couldn't get on the field that was the story of the whole game like game ended 17-10 just look, which looks closer than I actually was but we just couldn't get but not to only talk about the offensive line our defense which you know, we have a lot of honor, um, all ACC honorable mentions, which we're going to get back, which we're going to get into it later with ex uh, for the Seminole, Jaden Woodby, safety. We have Josh DeBerry, great cornerback, Elijah Jones. We have a lot of grad students, like really experienced defensive line. So they started the season uh, on a shaky note. But I think the last game, we really cleaned it up. The offensive line, I want to give a big shout-out to them. They uh, caught a lot of slack. Um, for after the first two games, people talked about how experience they were, but I feel like they really gave Phil a lot of time to throw the football. Phil had one of his best games, although it was against FCS opposition. Uh, it was a great game for us to bounce back, and it's a, you know we looked to build on the momentum as we have way tougher opposition down the schedule. The quarterback for Boston College, Phil Jerkovic, a lot's been made about him. Started his career in South Bend with Notre Dame, but this is his third year uh, in Boston College. Had a great 2020 season, threw for 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns to only five interceptions, and, and he became um, you know one of the, the preseason darlings the following year in the ACC. What happened with him since since 2020? He's 11 touchdowns to seven interceptions, and uh, he's missed some games with injury. So, uh, their once star quarterback is he still playing at that level? What what's the expectations with him these days? Yeah, I think you said it. I think you said it already. You summed it up. He's had a great 2020 season. You know, he has something to prove. Leaving Notre Dame, he had a lot of great games. But I'm gonna just say it as it is: is the injury. The injury really did him bad. You know, he kind of. I feel like he was rushed back into the whole. Uh, uh, I feel like he was rushed back into the team. You know, he started off. Like, he's a star player. You know, he has all the tools. He has all the tools that's needed to be a top quarterback at the next level, especially even at the college level. But you know, it's just been a lot of factors. Like last year, he had, he had the injury. This year, like we have talked about, a, a, a offensive line. So it's just been a lot of mixed factors that have not gone in his favor. But I feel like you know, this year, like he looks to have a better season. He's gonna bounce back. And hopefully he gets drafted in the NFL. He has all the tools to make him to be a, a great quarterback in the next level. Does he look healthy to you right now? Yeah, yeah, he looks healthy. He looks healthy. I mean, I feel like uh, you know, 
when you're an athlete and you come off an injury, it's a little, and especially with a you know inexperienced defensive line, it's a little hesitation to run out of the pocket. You know, you want to stay in the pocket, you want to make those plays. So it's really hard for that to happen. And I wouldn't, and and I wouldn't blame him for not you know wanting to run a lot. You know, because of the injury he just had. And, you know, he has surgery, you know, that takes time to heal. But the college season doesn't wait for nobody. The the the, the pros doesn't wait for anybody. So, yeah, he, he came back. Like we see him, like, start of the season. A lot of times he scrambles out of the pocket or he scrambles. That's, cause of the, that's because of the offensive line. You know, I'm not trying to blame the offensive line, but I feel like he's a good quarterback. He, I don't think he's 100% healthy, but I feel like he's on his way. He's on his way. Look out for him this season. AJ, this is Jackson Bakich, uh, co-host of Tomahawk Talk. Um, first of all, I just want to ask, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, what position group do you think Florida State needs to look out for the most in their preparation? Offensive side of the ball, we have a great wide receiver court. You know, as we all know, one of the players to look for, to look at is Zay Flowers. You know, electric, dynamic wide receiver. Like, when Zay Flowers has the ball, he goes Pat Garwo, Pat Garwo, the running back, Pat Garwo, Zay Flowers, they all on the preseason watch list. Those are like they help Phil a lot. When Phil came, when we need four yards, five yards, we need a touchdown, we need to get down the field. Those are his weapons. We have Jalen Gill transfer from Ohio State. We have sophomore uh Jaden Williams. He had a great game against Maine. So I say on the offensive side of the ball, we need to you Florida State really needs to look at Zay Flowers and uh, Jalen Williams, Jalen Gill, and our running back, Pat Garwa. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, AJ. Jaden would be. Uh, he, he was at FSU from 2018 to 2020. He was probably the prized gem of, of any Willie Taggart recruiting class, probably the best player that, that he was able to bring in. And uh, after after Taggart leaves, Jaden Woodby transfers to Boston College. At FSU, he was kind of that hybrid safety linebacker role. Um, so how, how have the Eagles enjoyed him? Is he still kind of playing that position? How involved has he been in the games? And uh, do you expect him to be an impact player uh, on Saturday? Listen, Jaden Woodby is one of our best players. He's one of our best DBs. Last year was an all-AC honorable mention. He started all 12 games for us. He looks to start on Sunday, continue. You know, his streak is starting. He recorded 56 tackles, which we're expecting on the team, including 3.5 tackles for loss. He had half his size, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, and three pass breakups. Not even trying to bore um, you guys with the stats, but that's just what he brings to the table. Jaden Woodby, he, like, he, he makes big plays. He makes big plays. And I, and I feel like he could... Make these plays the next level. Florida State needs to like. I feel like he's gonna have a really big game, especially being an ex Seminole. It's gonna be a really good game for him. BC, as you asked, the first question you asked, Boston College. We have enjoyed Jaden Woodby. We enjoyed him the whole the whole time he's been here, and we're surely gonna miss him next season. It's year three for Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley. He's 16-16 and 16 now in his time up in Chestnut Hill since 2020, his first year in the job. Is there a feeling of pressure there? Is he on the hot seat? Is that affecting anything right now? Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. Jeff Halfley is not going anywhere. You know, the Eagles, we love Jeff Halfley. We, we sticking right by him. He came to us when, like, you know, his first season, 2020, we're 6-5 and five with covid you know, he has, you know, increased our defense. Like, we've – when when Jeff Hathaway came to Boston College, we were ranked 97th. 
defensive rating. We jumped up to oh, like about 20, like you know, a lot of places. I want to say we jumped all the way up to 20 to 25th. I'm not too sure about that, but Jeff Hasley, he's he's been like really good for it, like for BC. Obviously, we can look at the start of the season and see like he had a game against Rutgers that he should, he should have won, and then the disappointing game against Virginia Tech. But as I've already highlighted in the past questions you asked me, it's been a lot of factors, and we can't blame it. On the other side, we just hired a new uh, uh, offensive co- uh, coordinator. So every so everybody is just you know still getting adjusted to the loss of some of our top offensive linemen. You know Phil, he he got back from injury. People like you know people left, people coming in. So it's a lot of work. You know, both the college team is definitely going to be a work in progress. But the Eagles are standing by Jeff Hasley because we feel like he's the right man to do the job. Last question I got for you. This is a, a series between these two schools that has been dominated by Florida State as of as of late. If you'll think back to last year, that was a 26-23 win for FSU in Boston College. Although FSU nearly blew a 26-3 lead, BC had 20 straight points to end the game. Recollection of that game for you, uh, and as far as you know, the press conferences or anything is concerned, is it something that they are thinking about this week? Honestly, Florida State has started the season really well. They're three and zero. Boston College is one and two, but I would say this: Boston College is wounded lion, wounded lion. Like I feel like we have nothing to lose going into that game. We're gonna come out the gates attack, and we going away. We have nothing to lose. So, regarding that game, I feel Florida State got to watch out for Boston College. There's been a lot of talk about how the Eagles haven't started well in Florida State. You know they're they like as you said they dominated the matchup. They've always been a good opposition, but we talked about a lot of factors. Talking about Jaden Wood, talking about Phil Jacobs, Dave Flowers. There's a lot of people, a lot of seniors in Boston College team have a lot to prove because the future of Boston College, the future of the next level, they have a lot, a lot of eyes on them. That's going to be a big game for Boston College, it's, and it's and it's going to be a good game for the state too. It should be a good game, a good watch for the neutral fan. Hi AJ, how are you? It's Alex. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Um, so I've been seeing a recurring theme here that this season was supposed to be resetting expectations for Boston College. And now with BC down three offensive linemen and now the starting right tackle Kevin Klein out with a torn ACL, how does that leave the team now with the game against FSU coming up? Like, what are they doing now in practice? Do you see them, like, struggling? Are they stressing? So I want to get your mind, like, and your thoughts on that. No, uh, Boston College is not struggling. Right now what is going on is you know, if you watch like the last game against Maine, last game against Maine, we threw in a new tackle to replace Kevin Klein. We th- we you know we try like we had seven seven different players that were new, and they they did a great job. Like if you like, obviously it's an FCS opposition. It's not Florida State. It's not Rutgers. It's not Virginia Tech. But I feel like that was a great game for the new offensive line to get their feet wet. And the, uh, I, I was also want to give a shout out to the uh, offensive coordinator. He tried the new linemen, a lot of walk-ons in different positions, different styles, and he changed them up. He, 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 he uh, Jeff Halfley and the uh, offensive coordinator, they um, transformed a lot of defensive linemen to become offensive linemen, linemen to step up, and that's exactly what they did. So I feel like Florida State is going to be you know, um, a great test for them, a really big test for them, and I feel like they're up to the, the challenge. 
All right. Awesome. AJ and with Reggie, WZBC at Boston College Student Radio. You've said it all. So, AJ, thanks so much for coming on and uh, had a great time with you. And uh, best of luck to your team the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You good, as luck well. the, good luck in the game. Appreciate that. You as well. And there he goes. Again, thank you. To AJ, another great spot. Love hearing from these uh, opposing writers and broadcasters. Glad we got someone on the radio side. And a pretty cool, I thought, that uh, he called the game last week against Maine. Had some good insight for all of us there. So let, let's talk about it. Let's preview this game. I wanted to finish off my note before we got into the call. As I said, first time FSU being a double-digit favorite versus a conference team since 2020. It was 13 points over Georgia Tech. Their largest uh, spread over an ACC opponent since 2016 that was uh, against Syracuse. They were favored by 23 in that one. Norvell is 1-0 versus Boston College. There was no game between the two teams in 2020, and it was in 21. It was that 26-23 win where FSU almost blew that that large lead. But not a great team. Their own one in conference play. Pretty large uh, defeat to Virginia Tech, who's not too great in their own right. Um, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily buying Phil Dracovic. They had a nice little win over Maine, but I don't know that that's enough to, to make you feel super confident. They're, you know, as we just said, the huge spread will go around the room scores. I'll go first. I would say 28-14 is going to be my final score prediction. I expect Tate Rodemaker to play. I think they're going to be conservative on some of these guys that are injured because you've got um, a stretch coming up after this game that you're going to want those guys for. I think they I think they believe they can win with the guys that they played in the second half against Louisville, but uh, I think it'll be enough. I think they'll win by a couple touchdowns, though maybe not covering that large spread. You know, I originally was thinking, man, that – that spread is is ginormous, but you know it's at Doak. It's at eight o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan High. I I think Florida State will cover. I'm going to go 38-17 Florida State. I just I just got to add something here. Uh, when when I was requesting my ticket on the student website, I had to wait for yep. a good bit in mm-hmm. the queue. Yeah. I had to watch that little walking man uh, <laughs> for quite some time. Which at the time I was a little frustrated, but then I was kind of like, wow. I'm having to wait for Florida State football tickets. We're playing at prime time. I hadn't done that since Notre Dame. Absolutely. Last year. Yeah. So going into that score prediction, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna be confident here, and I'm gonna say 38-0, oh, with wow. the hopes, with the hopes that that extra three is a Ryan Fitzgerald redemption story. There we go. I that's hope that's so. what I'm saying right so. there. That's what I'm saying. Well. I think we were talking about this before the show that as of now, Travis is still kind of in the running to play against BC on Saturday, but if that doesn't end up happening, we have to end up putting pressure back on our backup QB, which is Tate. But what I noticed in the last game, he kind of has a tendency of throwing interceptions based on his stats, so it was like two touchdowns, two interceptions the last game. But if I was BC, you know, I'd be wanting to make sure to send a blitz, send the house, kind of like showing that pressure, but I'm just hoping that this week the QB coaches and Norvell and everyone are just still practicing Rodemaker, just still sending over that pressure, those mock blitzes, to just kind of see like how he can perform under that type of pressure. So if he is thrown in mid-game again, he can like perform and he won't metaphorically or literally throw the game away. But I'm confident, not too confident though, because if anything happens, you still want to be secure. But I think I'm going to go with FSU and a 32-14. There you go. All righty, Tony Tokarts, you hear that? That's for you. <laughs> Get that boy. Uh Ready to go, that and Tate Rodemaker. So we're gonna go ahead and yeah. So a seminal segment. So this is you're listening to Tomahawk Talk, eighty nine point seven FM, WVFS, Tallahassee. Jack Oliaro with seminal segment. Take it away. 
Hey, what's good, everyone? I'm Jack Liaro, the guy who does the seminal segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. Before we get into that, I'd like to give my thoughts on this weekend's game, as I think Florida State will win over the struggling Boston College Eagles with or without Jordan Travis. Uh, the Boston College offensive line, or I'm sorry, the Eagles, uh, they have a pretty bad offensive line. It's been a little bit of a ghost zone, providing little to no protection for Jill, Phil Dracovic, and the lack of ability to run the ball is evident, as they even struggled against Maine. But when Phil can't throw the ball, he has Zay Flowers, George Takis, and Jaden Williams to make plays. The defense is fine, averaging 22 points at a loud game, but they didn't start well, and the key to their losses was falling behind early, not being able to make up a deficit. I won't bet on injuries, but my guess is the Knolls will win 35-24. to Now back to your regularly scheduled segment where we continue with the Boston College Eagles as the Florida State soccer team made the long voyage to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts for the ACC opening match. Uh, Florida State literally didn't waste any time as only a minute in Oni Echigini's killer cross actually crept onto the back post and in for the opening goal. And from there, she went on a tear, scoring two more goals to make it a hat trick in under an hour, her first collegiate hat trick in uh, her history. Uh, the Knowles cemented their foot on the accelerator, scoring three more goals by Jenna Nyswanger, uh, Sophia Nguyen, and Caitlin Zappay. This unfortunately ends Florida State's three game 5 0 streak but pushes their combined total in the past four matches to 21-0. to nil. Uh, The Seminoles will have a two-game homestand this week with a Thursday night match against Louisville and a Sunday afternoon match against Clemson. Those games will be at 7 and 1 p.m. respectively and streaming on ACC Network Extra. From the pitch to the court, we'll pick up in Gainesville, where, Florida, where the Noles were swept by Florida in three sets, and then, then they followed it up with a three-set sweep of UAB at home. And they open their conference accounts this weekend with a Friday night game against Notre Dame on, and a Saturday afternoon Titanic of a match uh, with a third-ranked Louisville Cardinals coming to Tully. Uh, Louisville went undefeated during the regular season and fell just short in the NCAA semifinals to the Wisconsin Badgers. If you can't make it to that game, it will be on ESPNU at 2 p.m., while the Friday game will be on 7 p.m. at ACC Network Extra. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson push the buttons. All right, push the buttons indeed. We are back in the studio. William, Jackson, Kylie, and Alex. Uh, we were joined by AJ and we're Reggie from WZBC in the first half. Thanks again for him to come on and preview that game. So we got a clean sweep here in the studio predicting a Florida State win, but now let's turn off to the rest of the world of sports. We're going to be real quick with the college football this week, but a premier game. It was in Aggieland, Texas A&M 17-9 over the Miami Hurricanes. Mm -hmm, So a team that FSU will play later on this year in Miami against a team in A&M with a a big Jimbo Fisher story after they lose to Appalachian State. So they get back on the board winning. Still did not look very good on the offensive side of the ball. Max Johnson, their new starting quarterback, throwing for only 140 yards. But Miami can't get a touchdown on the board. They kick five field goals. They missed two of them. And uh, Tyler Van Dyke, I think that's that's really the story, uh, at least to me, the Miami offense not very good, and, and they lose a big game on the road. I thought CBD played solid. To be honest, the stats do not show that. Uh, a lot of wide receiver drop balls. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, miscues by that wide receiver group. And... This game was a mid-off. That's what it. That's what it looked like to me. You have a lot of a lot of drop punts, a lot of muff punts, yeah. um, and just two offenses that just could not get it going. I mean, Texas A&M had a couple good drives, but um, I don't know if it was just two defenses that looked about equal to each other, or two offenses that just looked about equal to each other. Hence, you know, the pretty much one one score game. I know it's kind of a kind of a basic take, but. I still can't get a read on this Miami team. 
I, I don't know yet. I, I need to see them in conference play uh, over time, uh, and uh, then I can make a final judgment on them. I'm not saying they stink. Um, I think they're a solid team. Texas A&M's a solid team. They had a bad game. I mean, they didn't necessarily look great against Sam Houston State either a few weeks ago, but uh, um, the jury's still out of Miami. Um, kind of going off what you said, Jackson, I almost feel like there was like this kind of disconnect within the team on that game. And like it just almost felt like TBD wasn't really connecting with his receivers. It was just kind of like this disconnect that they thought they were on the same page and then a play would happen and it was just like they were on completely different chapters, so to speak. But I actually just found out based off this article from Miami Herald um, that it's confirmed that Miami's wide receiver Jacob Lee George is injured and out indefinitely. Um, so that's another I guess, ingredient to add to the pot. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I feel like before we worry about the errors, I feel like there needs to just be a, just a sit down and kind of like have a connection within the team and kind of see like what's going on. Cause I feel like this is more personal than it is just like athletically. So I, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I felt like there was like just a, a disconnect like on a personal level well, amongst the teammates. What I will say is, and I can't believe I hadn't come to this conclusion sooner cause it's so obvious but the twelfth man is real. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it's a, what hundred ten thousand there, close to it. Their there. fourth largest crowd ever. I mean, it, it, the twelfth man is real there, and uh, you know, you can't believe that they didn't get it done against App State. But um, you know, when you have that primetime game uh, in which the entire nation is watching, you know, at nine p.m. that primetime slot. Uh, go ahead, Kylie. Yeah. I mean, I was going to let you continue and then say the thing afterwards, but uh, what I was going to say is when you were talking about Texas A&M and you said they didn't really look too great against Sam Houston either, um, they also didn't look great against Appalachian State. I feel like I feel like that's kind of something that's, you know... Well, here's the thing about App State. Hard to ignore. App State, for the last 15, 20 years, they're giant killers. They, that's just who they are. Um, and... I don't think App State's a bad team. I mean, they they should have beaten uh, UNC. They had a very good opportunity to. Um, probably should have lost to Troy, but uh, I don't. I don't. But think App State, a bad team App either. State is a good team. Um, should Texas A&M lost the game? Absolutely no. not. Absolutely no. not. But one offensive uh, touchdown. But exactly. But um, to completely cast aside App State. I'm uh, I, I'm I, not casting aside App State. I'm just saying when you're Texas A&M. And uh, we have the back and forth with Nick Saban when we're talking about NIL money and all this jazz. And he's and getting paid you, and then you lose millions of dollars State. a year. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, no, that's I, where I have a problem. I agree 100%. But, and like, imagine doing a pay-to-play that you paid $1.5 million and you lose. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we can't imagine that. As well. Oh, I know. That's, <laughs> it's a little bit too soon for that. But, like, you know, absolutely. $1.5 million to pay them to beat them. Something about Jimbo Fisher that Florida State fans will it'll maybe bring them back to yesteryear. There were two defensive backs out of the game with suspensions. They missed curfew, and there were another two defensive players that were ejected from the game for targeting. So they were down a total of four defensive players, and that affected their depth in the late stages of that one. So uh, I, I found that to be a little interesting. Quick ACC roundup for college football. Wake Forest survived against Liberty 37-36. They get Clemson next week at home. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a tough couple games for Wake before they play Florida State uh, the following week, and we'll talk about that a lot. 
lot on next week's show. Syracuse, they're 3-0. and They beat Purdue in the uh, the new JMA Wireless Dome, and they'll host Virginia on Friday. So Syracuse looking good. Dino Baber is exceeding expectations by miles. And the Duke Blue Devils in uh, their new era with their new head coach, they're 3-0. and They'll play 3-0 and Kansas and uh, kind of the, the battle of the the basketball powerhouses. I know Kentucky's 3-0, and uh, UNC is 3-0, and so all the college basketball teams are good on the gridiron too now. I mean, Duke's just totally in its 3-0 and era. You know, it's just slaying all, all the way. All the way. All the way. Let's let's do some. <laughs> Say it with a straight face. Let's Jeff. do some really quick college football picks. I got just three games for you that, that'll be taking place this Saturday. Number five, Clemson on the road, 21, ranked Wake Forest. Wake is, is an underdog by about a touchdown. Do we think Wake can keep it close, or is Clemson going to roll? Yes. No. Wake <gasps> Forest. Wait, I got Wake Forest oh, by... Forest, yeah. I'm going to go Wake Forest by 10. Yes. Sam Hartman is back. Clemson's offense is just atrocious. I think Wake Forest will uh, will get on top pretty quick, and I, uh, Clemson's offense just cannot keep up. I'm taking Clemson. We just talked about Wake mm-hmm. Forest surviving. That's the language we used. We didn't use a language of... Oh, wow, they killed Liberty. No. Liberty's not bad. Liberty, yeah, I mean, Sam Harmon is back. Not bad, but I'm taking Clemson. I'll, I'll take uh, pro- I'll take Clemson to cover that spread as well, win by a couple touchdowns. Big battle, uh, SEC rivalry game in Rocky Top. Number 20, Florida on the road in Knoxville. Number 11, Tennessee. Tennessee mm-hmm. favored by 10.5. Florida coming off a close win over USF. Probably shouldn't have won. Anthony Richardson not looking very good. What, what do we have in that one? Uh... You know, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Tennessee. I just know their ranking. They look good this um, year. They look good. So, uh, you have Heupel out there in Tennessee still. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from yep. Virginia Tech, That's looks a, great. Yep. So, um, just based on what I saw from Florida, uh, I'm going to go Tennessee by two touchdowns. Uh, well, I guess it all boils down to how great Tennessee's holder is, you know. There you go. That makes all the di- that makes all the difference these yeah, days. I'll take Tennessee though. Yeah, I'm taking Tennessee also because that Florida against USF game was just a not a pretty sight to see. I changed it after a couple of plays. I was like, that's enough of this. Time to watch something else. All right. Well, National Football League big weekend for them. It was the second day in NFL history with three 13-point comebacks in the fourth quarter. 1992 was the only other time that's happened. Mm -hmm. And we'll start in our Florida roundup with the Miami Dolphins, who had the first 21-point fourth quarter comeback since 2010. That was that Eagles-Giants game where Deshaun Jackson still not in and now in for the touchdown. Uh, Since 2010, teams down 21 in the fourth were 0-755. So the Dolphins doing something that hasn't been done and over 750 games wow. uh, in that regard. So the, the Dolphins beat the Ravens 42-38. We'll start with you, Jackson. I know that the win has got to pump you up. Big win for Tua. Offense looked great. They were down uh, 35-14, and, and they come screaming back in the second half. I mean, absolutely. I mean, when you have Mike Gusecki, when you have Tyreek Hill, and you have Jalen Waddell, one's got to be open. I mean, they, they are just so good. And when you put pair them together – uh, it's just got to be a nightmare to game plan for as, as a defensive coordinator. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. That that game, as a Dolphins fan, it, it gave me this just completely new optimism uh, for the entire year. Uh, when you see all three of those players having significant impacts, especially Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, um, it it felt similar as you know to watching that Louisville game, kind of that same resolve that you didn't expect to see. Uh, from two franchises or two, you know, two sporting clubs that are trying to change the narrative about uh, their teams. 
Miami finished the year last year 8-1. and They're 2-0 and this year. They'll get Buffalo at home, so the schedule doesn't get any easier. But things look great. Best quarterback or best game from a Miami quarterback since Dan Marino. Six touchdowns, almost 500 yards, nice. 10 yards per attempt. Um, I don't. I think things are looking good uh, for Miami. And real quick, Mike McDaniel, 2-0. That's His right. First yeah. games as a head coach. Hats off to him. He's got all the weapons in the world to work with, as you were talking about. Uh, let's let's move on now to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All three teams in the state yeah. of Florida won uh, on Sunday. It was tough there for a while. I mean, it was 3-3 three to three for the longest time until Tampa Bay was finally able to break through. There was a brawl the second time that, that Mike Evans shoves uh, Marshawn Lattimore to the ground, oh. one of the great NFL rivalries going today. He said he- it's on site. No, but I'm it's upset now because now he's suspended for a game. That's right. He's going to be not being able to play for next week's game against Ugh, Green Bay. It's but ridiculous. That that rivalry continues. Uh, f- the Bucks had not beaten the Saints in their last seven tries in the regular season. That was week one of 2018 was the last time the Bucks beat New Orleans in the regular season. And so that was that was big, I think, for the team. I mean, the Bucks are 2-0. and It didn't look great. I mean, they didn't get on the board until um, – late into the second or the the third quarter rather into the second half mm-hmm. it was a pick six that that was able to um propel them a little further Jameis winston uh it's a it's a tough situation right now he's got some uh, fractured back uh, he was sacked six times through three interceptions new orleans had five total turnovers on the day so give credit maybe to that bucks defense too but but a rough day for Jameis. i think it's going to be rough sledding here for the saints Maybe a little bit potentially, as Kylie mentioned at the top of the show, there was some Brady tantrums. We're not we're not done with that yet. Mm-hmm. He's still yelling, throwing down Microsoft Surface tablets, and um, they're gonna ride Leonard Fournette. 24 carries, only 65 yards though. But it's clear at this point in Tom Brady's career, without the risk it biscuit from from Bruce Arians, they want to be really conservative and not put Tom Brady at much of a risk and of course we can't talk about the Bucks without our our Gene Deckerhoff call of the week as this is his final season of broadcasting calling all the Bucks games so call the week from Gene Deckerhoff here it is here they go again Tempo mode dropping to throw Winston out of the gun throws to the left it's intercepted into the 35 outside the numbers to the 40 to the 35 to the 30 to the 25 to the 20 to the 15 10 Mike Edwards touchdown Tampa Bay that's the dagger my friend four takeaways by the Bucks, and Tampa Bay gets a pick six I've never heard anybody smoother on play-by-play. He is, in my opinion, the greatest play-by-play radio call I've ever heard. Courtesy there of, of Gene Deckerhoff and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network. And if I didn't mention it, the, the call from Jeff Colhane at the top of the show, courtesy of Learfield IMG College and the Seminole uh, Sports Network. But uh, there, that was the call of the pick six from Edwards off of Winston Bucks roll. They are 2-0. and and so now we'll move on to the the last game in the state of Florida. The Jacksonville Jaguars, they get a shutout win in Duval County, mm-hmm. 24-0 over the Indianapolis Colts, who look absolutely lifeless right now. But let's talk about the, the team on, on the victory side of things. A great day for Trevor Lawrence, nearly perfect. Everything was going their way, Kylie. And with new head coach Doug Peterson, new era, they've cast future Nebraska legend Urban Meyer to the side and inserted Doug Peterson, and, and things are looking pretty good right now. Jaguars are 1-1. One one. 
absolutely. I am I am so pumped. This is this is what I live to talk about, okay? When it's Victory Monday, I've got to go out big. I've got to wear all my Jaguar stuff to class the next day. Everyone must know that I'm a Jags fan <laughs> because that doesn't get to happen very often. And you know what? I'm really proud of, you know, the guys that we brought in in the offseason, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, really being difference makers on the field this year. And um, kind of like what I said in shows past, I feel like Trevor Lawrence is kind of more motivated under Doug Peterson because they actually did have uh, interaction with each other when uh, Peterson was coming off of the Philly Super Bowl. He came and spoke at Clemson, basically gave Trevor some encouraging words. So there was already some point of contact, and I think that Trevor might just even feel like more motivated, more connected to this coach, because obviously Urban Meyer wouldn't even fly back with the team sometimes. So I'm hoping that we're having kind of the same thing that we're seeing at FSU with just like a culture shift in Jacksonville. Um, It's the first time in a long time that I've seen on people's Snapchat stories that they're at Jaguars games. They're leaving Florida State for a weekend to go watch Jaguars games, and that is a sight to see. And kind of going off what you said, Lawrence absolutely dominated yesterday. He threw 235 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. He completed 25 of his 30 passes, which is a career high for him. And he's now averaging about 83.33%. And I just think he needs to keep up the great work because right now he is on fire and he's killing it. And it shows. Christian Kirk, the wide receiver, they gave a big deal in the offseason coming over from Arizona. Had a couple of touchdowns. He was big. Uh... For Indianapolis, I don't know. They were down 20-3 to in Week 1 to Houston. They come back, bring it to overtime, but tie it. And they lose in Jacksonville. They haven't won there since 2014, so that losing streak continues. But they get shut out, 24 nothing again, the score. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going on in the AFC South right now. I'm personally going to write off Indianapolis. They are in some kind of funk. Uh, Matt Ryan did not look very good. About 50% completion percentage. No touchdowns. Three picks. Got sacked five times by that defense. So maybe Saxonville on its return. So great win for Jacksonville. The, the All three Florida teams are combined 5-1 and one this year. So we'll continue to talk about all three of those teams every week when we talk NFL. But we've got a couple more games here to round out the show. Some big ones. In Jerry World in Dallas, the Cowboys 20-17 to over the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are the first team since 2015 to go to a Super Bowl and then start the next season 0-2. The 2015 Seahawks were the last team to do that. And it's not looking very good for Cincinnati. It was Dallas was up 17-3 at half. And mind you, this is Cooper Rush. This is not Dak Prescott. He's going to be out for the next month, month and a half or so. So Cooper Rush doing his thing. Really, we can talk about Dallas and maybe if they can be viable without Dak until he returns. But to me, Joe Burrow gets sacked six times. I mean, you've heard that before. There's something up with their head coach, Zach Taylor, where he refuses to bring in tight ends or running backs to chip, only five-man protections against an offensive line, which they tried to improve but still does not look very good. A very fierce Dallas pass rush, mind you. But they're leaving Joe Burrow out to the Wolves, and he is getting ransacked every week. There's got to be a concern about his health. But even, even that aside, the offense is just not a viable model. I know they go to the Super Bowl last year, but, I mean, he got sacked seven seven times in a playoff game. They somehow find a way to win. Jackson, I just – what is what is going on with Cincinnati right now? They're – you know, it's very hard to make the playoffs after going to the Super Bowl uh, in the NFL. And, you know, Cincinnati won a lot of close games last year. Uh, a lot of people are thinking they're, they're kind of going back to the mean this year. But you said it better than I could. Uh, if you don't have an offensive line – 
it's not a sustainable way of winning. And we talked about this uh, earlier today, William. Um, you know, Burrow gets sacked seven times against the Titans uh, during the playoffs, in which they ended up winning. But it's not a sustainable way for 17 games in a season, especially in a quarterback that's already been sacked, but probably over 100. I mean, he's on pace to be sacked 111 times this year. That's You can't do that to a quarterback that's coming off of an ACL injury. That's right. And uh, like you said, there's ways to combat that. Uh, there's ways to go to a more pro-style offense rather than you know spreading out the field. And I get it. You know, you kind of work out the numbers and you have Jamar Chase, uh, who's going to be an impact player. But if you can't protect a quarterback, then it's all null and void. That's true. We got one more game on the slate to discuss. This is one of the big comebacks. Arizona Cardinals going on the road in Vegas, 29-23 over the Raiders. The Raiders were up 20 to nothing at halftime. Arizona looks lifeless. They were on the brink of being 0-2 after getting blown out by Kansas City in Week 1. Maybe getting ready to, to put uh, Kyler Murray and company on the sandblaster for all the drama that's been going on with them. But all Kyler Murray does is come all the way back in the ball game and put rate put the Raiders on the watch list for for having some trouble. They're now 0-2 with their new coach Josh McDaniel. Great overtime game, great comeback. I mean, it was one of those where Arizona got a touchdown with triple zeros on the clock and got the two point conversion to tie it in regulation, and then some wild plays in overtime. Hunter Renfro fumbles, and then it was uh, it was uh, I think an interception or a fumble recovery returned for a touchdown by that Arizona defense. So. I mean, you can look at this one of two ways, either Arizona escaping some trouble or, or Vegas, the Raiders, a team that had a lot of expectations, they're now 0-2, and, and it's really hard to make the playoffs when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you got a new coach in. We've, we've talked about culture uh, really not only today but these past three or four weeks since we've been back. Uh, culture is just a huge factor in any locker room. It doesn't matter if it's peewee football or if it's, the National Football League. Uh, culture is what, you know, defines you. Mm-hmm. And when you're up 20 to nothing, how do, how do you respond? Not only, not only is culture responding to failure, but it's also responding to success. If you are, and I'm not trying to sound like a motivational speaker, but uh, if you're doing well and you decided to, you know, just you know, throw out the helmet and hope, hope you win, that is not a good culture just as much as laying down when you're down by 20. So uh, hopefully Josh McDaniel can build a culture there. Uh, who doesn't want to see him succeed? But uh, that felt like a culture loss rather than a, a, a culture win for Arizona. Well, really an exciting uh, week in, in NFL. There's a couple of Monday night games going on. End of the first quarter, Titans and Bills are tied at 7 and then at 8.30, I mean, if you're listening to this next day, it's passed. But the Vikings at the the Eagles, a battle of one or no teams. So one team will be coming out of that in really good shape. But this has taken us right up until uh, about the 8 o'clock hour. So we're going to go ahead and sign off. I've been your host, William Haynes. Been joined co-host Jackson Bakich, Alex Rivero, Kylie Brennan, Jack Oliaro behind the glass with seminal segment. It was AJ Enwa Reggie with WZBC uh, BC previewing the Boston College game. Hopefully FSU can advanced to 4-0 on Saturday night and uh, new release is next until then you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee 89.7 FM the voice of Florida State